You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. I am Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. We're joined by Pete Sampson from The Athletic. We had an opportunity to see 40 minutes of practice on Sunday. Not sure that that was totally enlightening to us. It was pretty similar to previous 40-minute accesses uh, uh, at the beginning of practice. But it was good to, it was good to see the team again. Um, Marcus Freeman in charge. We did see some, some players out there that we hadn't seen. Um, and I, I, Pete, I want to start with you. O'Malley and I did an instant analysis immediately afterwards. So just your, your impressions, anything from practice or anything that, that Marcus Freeman said? I, you know, the competitive period at the beginning of practice is different. I mean, we've, we've watched the same practice format for 12 yeah. years. So like anything new, it's like, oh my gosh, let's, let's talk about this. Um, but it was just something a little different, um, you know, where the players go one-on-one. We've only seen it one time probably notable that it was other than Lorenzo Styles guys who are not all that involved um, in the game plan. So it's probably more of a audition for younger players to get in a competitive environment. Um, like I'm assuming when we didn't see it on Saturday, it wasn't Myron Tungavailoa Mosa against Josh Lug. Um, you know, it's like John Dirksen versus Kofi Warhol right, or something. Right. We, so, saw, we saw some freshman DBs yesterday in that right. little mini. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, that was kind of interesting. I thought Freeman looked, fairly comfortable post-practice in the, you know, press conferences. People were asking me like, is he, is he comfortable with this? I was like, well, as long <laughs> as he's undefeated. Yeah. He's super comfortable. Um, so it, you know, it was just kind of fun to be out there and see what this new version of Notre Dame football is going to look like. You know, I, I wanted to see how did they run special teams? Was Nick Lazinski was not the only guy involved, but the most prominently guy involved. Um, and, you know, I, I've, how will the staff round out the rest of the way? You know, we don't have much of a sense of you know, offensive line and receiver, what that's going to look like next year. But Jeff Quinn and Dell Alexander are there right now. So those are those are the things I was most interested to sort of watch. And Tim, yesterday we we, we wrote about, you know, uh, again, an offensive and defensive practice report, which is which makes me anxious when I'm writing up because there's so little on the bone to deal with. But we did see. We did see uh, Maris Leofile on the defensive side of the ball, and I actually bumped into him after the the um, Marcus Freeman press conference and um, said, did I see you out there today? And he said, yeah, he's feeling better. So that's good. He won't play in the game. Uh, but Blake Fisher was further along and participating at a level that we didn't expect. I, I, I don't – a lot of people are going to jump in here and say, is he going to play? Is he going to play? I can't believe that that's the move to make um, under the circumstances. Tim, your perspective, because you had the offensive side of the ball yesterday. Yeah, well, just on in terms of playing, I think if he's available to play and back somebody up that gets hurt, that's great. It, there's not even an opinion if he's able to play that he would all of a sudden start. There's a 0% chance Notre Dame would be dumb enough to <laughs> ruin what they've done in the last eight weeks and put in a new player. I mean, that's, that is the ultimate fantasy football message board BS. Now, if he's healthy and Josh Love gets hurt, I might go to Blake Fisher instead of yeah. Mike. Right? Yeah. Would yeah, we know? don't we don't know exactly how far along he is. I mean, it doesn't matter if he's hundred percent. No, but I'm <laughs> saying I understand. But I, I mean I completely agree with you. What I'm saying is we saw him in practice yesterday. Um, and and he was running he wasn't with the first unit, but he was running just like he was getting reps like any other 
any other player, correct? Yeah, we didn't see the second unit. I caught a glimpse of the first unit walking out. We never saw the second unit. He was he just looked he didn't look like a player that had been injured, other than I know he yeah. played and he'd been injured. Um, my other takeaway was Marcus Freeman's post practice press conference was endearing. It was honest. It was fun, and we're all able to joke about how he is lost in space, as he said he doesn't know where to stand because he's used to being the defensive coordinator. All these things he doesn't know what to do during periods is great. And if he ever says it after practice number 10, he's going to get crucified. So it's a really good thing <laughs> after practice number two. Yeah. I mean, um, we said it in the insta analysis. I mean, he may have been over. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it is. But he, he may, he, it sounded to me like he was overplaying it a little bit, like he didn't know where to go. I mean, of course, of course, he gave it a lot of thought before yeah. going into the practice that I'm going to be here and I'm going to do this. I think he's honest about the offense too, because people are like, well, isn't it concerning Freeman doesn't have enough? doesn't have enough input on the offense. I don't think he should have any input on the offense in this game because he is, he's in practice number two away from being the defensive coordinator. He knows was, less about it than other guys do. That was one thing. I don't know. I can't remember who asked the question. It was maybe one of you guys. Like somebody asked about him getting more involved in the offense. And I, I wanted the answer to be like, not at all. Like I'll check not, back not on that in weeks. spring. Yeah, like not for three weeks. He's got nine months to be involved in the offense. He should. Yeah. That. That was that was like, huh, I didn't think he would want to get involved in the offense really at all right yeah. now. I think probably just feels pressure being asked, what what's your form of offense? He's probably like, uh, well, for the next three weeks, it's Tommy Reese's offense. So that's yeah. my form of offense. Well, and, and I totally agree, as it should be. Um, you know, we haven't we haven't had a podcast since Kyron Williams. When did he announce that he was going to? It was on I Friday. So that was right. Friday because I was picking up my kids at school when I happened. Okay, I, okay, so... Uh, <laughs> You know, no Kyron Williams. We anticipated no Kyle Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, we have a question in the second segment about that, so I'll, I'll save any further commentary on that um, for now. But we do have um, – we did. Have, I do want to talk about the uh, the Tommy Reese podcast with Ryan Rossillo, which I thought was very interesting and interesting to, enough to, to do something that we don't normally do, and that is going to somebody else's podcast and then write a story about it. But it was, <laughs> but it was, I mean, it was compelling. It was compelling because you want to talk about honesty. I mean, that, that was a level of honesty that we don't normally get with, with an assistant coach. And I guess the setting and, and the previous uh, contact with Ryan Rosillo made him confident to do it, but uh, he pretty much gave us a, a blow by blow report of how everything unfolded from Brian Kelly recruiting with Tommy Reese on the West coast to, um, you know, hurrying to come back or coming back as quickly as he could when things broke. And then, you know, just the process of, that Reese went through in determining that he would stay at Notre Dame. Yes. I mean, it was some real candor from Reese, which I think he's sort of growing more comfortable in that part of the job yeah. where you can't, you can't just be like, I'm all ball all the time. Um, you know, with my beard growing out, and my beanie hat on like that's in college football, you have to do a little bit more than that. And I think that, you know, he's kind of moving, moving into that part of his career. It's like, okay, how do I, how do I show more of my personality and be honest? And like, there was, yeah, he put a lot out there. I thought it was really interesting. Not, not only about his feelings about Notre Dame, where he felt like Notre Dame was, you know, under attack. I think he described it as the Alamo a little bit, but also yeah. like, 24 hours earlier where he admitted, like, I was out of here, like new challenge, like, forget it. I am out. Um, so that you don't get that a lot uh, from coaches. So it was refreshing to sort of hear that kind of candor. Yeah. That's the part that surprised me I, about 
I think I finally listened when about the 15th person was like, have you listened to Tommy Reese's podcast with Ryan? Russell? I was like, all right, fine. I'm going to listen to this thing. Because <laughs> I cannot stop having people ask me this question. I thought it would be, I understand what Brian Kelly did. I don't agree with how he did it. I really love this place. I was drawn back to this place, but to say like, I was gone. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was surprised. That like, I had to think about it. He's like, no, nah, I really had to think about it. It's such a great opportunity. I'd love to be in the warm weather. You know, it was like, I was gone. And it, oh, oh. Yeah. And he wanted the challenge of Saban and Texas yeah. A&M and, and yeah. all that. And you get that. And that, and that's why, you know, I'm frequently accused of like having this relationship with Tommy Reese where I have to praise him all the time. I, I That's not the case. I'm analyzing an offensive coordinator and I and I'm judging. You can disagree with my analysis of him as a offensive coordinator, but my motivation for defending him has nothing to do with a relationship with him. If this is too much of a non sequitur, stop me, both of you. But this is what the Tommy Reese issue with fans is compared to a defensive coordinator. All right. When you watch Marcus Freeman, not Marcus Freeman, Van Gorder coordinated defense and everything's terrible and they're all giving up giant gains and touchdowns, we can all say this is not working. People, when they watch offense, all think they can call offensive plays. No one in the world that's a football fan thinks they can call a defense. Like, I know what to set up here and this is what I would do other than blitz or don't blitz, right? When you're Bob Davey on fourth and 10 at Michigan State protecting a field goal and they score a touchdown, then don't blitz. I get that. When you watch an offensive game, you're like, well, why would he call that? That's ridiculous. That's so stupid. Why would you do that? That's in 95% of it's anecdotal. It didn't work, which you brought up a lot. But a lot of it is we all watch the game and think, come on, you got to run the ball more. That's obvious. Come on, you got the flats wide open. Like, but that's not how it actually works. And so, like, this theme that Tommy Reese has this boring offense. I think basic was used in a question last podcast. If he had Devontae Smith, would it be boring? No. The end. Like this is, you know, would have a boring offense that would chug along and get thirty-four points a game if they had the exact same personnel. Nick Saban, yeah, because he would find the best way to win the game with Tommy Tremble and Michael Mayer and running backs yeah. and no receivers would be to do what Brian Kelly did last yeah. year and Tommy Reese. Now, I think it could be more dynamic. You guys talked about it, but I think really fans just believe they can call offense. Yeah, and I think that if if in if the right world what? they can call defense, right? If Notre Dame doesn't retain Tommy Reese and they went to great lengths to do it, and if Tommy Reese doesn't follow his ex-head coach to LSU, he would be in high demand in any major conference anywhere. Oh, if he was a I would go, player, I would yeah. go farther than that. I think that he would be an NFL quarterbacks coach if he wanted right. to be next right. year. Yeah, no right problem. away, right away. And he will be a head coach very, very soon. So Notre Dame needs to maximize this this time with him. Last thing in this segment, uh, signing day. And, of course, on Thursday will be the day after signing day when we have our next podcast, so we'll talk more about it. But um, Notre Dame has done a tremendous job of maintaining everybody that – well, not everybody, I can't say that for sure, but have maintaining the bulk of uh, those that have verbally committed. You had a bunch of guys in over the weekend. Let me start with you, Pete. How many of the – currently committed players and throw in Devin Moore as well. Do you think will stay with Notre Dame or who, or, or do you, do you think they'll all stay with Notre Dame or, or no. will there's a bit? Yeah. Uh, I think that they will keep Marion Walker. I don't think they will re get Devin Moore. And I think they will lose CJ Williams. I think that that's how the class will come to an end on Wednesday. Tim, do you have any sense for that? Uh, no, just from what Kevin and Tom have talked about, but I would like repeat to be wrong in the last one yeah no it's um it like Notre Dame got 
a pretty bad break over the weekend where they get 18 commitments in for official visits. Maureen Walker's not one of them. CJ Williams is not one of them because they're both playing in state championship games. Like those were the two guys you really most needed to show up here in South Bend. Um, neither were able to make it, but it's my understanding is like Notre Dame is cautiously optimistic about both. Probably more about Walker than they are about Williams. Um, talking to people who cover USC, USC is really optimistic about CJ Williams. So I'm going to go with really optimistic, beating out cautiously optimistic. No, and I and I find it interesting that I mean CJ Williams. You know, we always knew how difficult it was to pull him out of modern day and and everything that goes with that. I mean, if you're not if you're not committed, if you don't want to stay with Notre Dame after the change to Marcus Freeman, then you I guess you really didn't right. want to go to Notre Dame, right? I mean, well, they, they did get a heck of a, they got Lincoln Riley. So I guess that offsets that a little bit, right? I think it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I think he really doesn't want to leave Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and now you, you have know, it's like, there's a reason it's like he's also looking at UCLA and it's not because UCLA has some dynamic offense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, like, I, you know, it. I'm, I'm going to maintain hope until, <laughs> until Wednesday because I think he's a great player and I think that he's an immediate contributor. And it's a significant blow when you look at Nordheim's receiving situation and the, the uncertainty about the future coaching, the position, et cetera. Uh, but we'll deal more with that in, in Thursday po- Thursday's podcast, and we'll be back in segment two, burning up the boards. Looking for a gift for the Notre Dame fan on your holiday shopping list? Help them commemorate their first Notre Dame game or loyalty to the Fighting Irish with a Notre Dame Football Heritage Project certificate. Your donation, $5 minimum, will help the Araparsegian Medical Research Fund and the Notre Dame Galavan Journalism Program. Visit ndcertificate.com to learn more. Segment two, burning up the boards. Question from Michael, 72580901. Marcus Freeman seemed to apologize for making negative comments about Ohio state at the beginning of his Sunday press conference. What was that about? You, that was from uh, a sort of column that he wrote in the players tribune after his hiring. I think it ran the day after his press conference. Um, I think so. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was was an interesting, interesting piece. And in it, he sort of talked about, not making the same mistake twice in reference to when he chose Ohio state over Notre Dame the first time, um, which like a, definitely a, a bell went off in my head when I read it. Um, not to the point that I expected him to come out and like walk it back. Uh, yeah, but he probably later, caught, he probably caught a whole bunch of grief for that. Yeah. I, I would, I could see like him, Jim Trestle calling and be like, uh, Marcus. So Let's think. Let's think about what you wrote here. Um, That's what I think. My my guess is he caught some flack and was like, "Oh, I didn't expect it to be that." And then somebody that mattered to him called him up, like Pete. Yeah, Martin. yeah, and he's probably going to have to be aware of that forever here now at Notre Dame. That don't well, for nine months. He better really be. Aware of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. They're going <laughs> to save that. Whether he says whether he makes that mistake again or not, they're still going to save that quote for September or whatever the date yeah. is for that kickoff. I, uh, I I feel bad for him because he's so honest that it's going to be beaten out of him. Yeah, we're gonna we are going to put everything that he yeah. says under the microscope, and and it's a guy with a lot on his plate, let alone having to deal with four press conferences a week during a season. And- I haven't followed if anything has come of this yet, except for calling Jack Freeman right after it happened. 
when someone said, when Lamont Pope called in from the Sun-Times and said, what did you learn about your time with the Bears? I don't remember how it was tied in. And he said, I learned a lot about defeat. And we all started cracking up. He actually then said, because I got cut so fast, but nobody heard him say I got cut so fast. Yeah. We all just yeah. heard that the Bears stink. But he was talking about him getting cut so fast. <laughs> I think, I just feel like something that funny and natural, it's, it'll go away someday, man. <laughs> he's not going to be able to say those things unless he just doesn't care. But I don't think he's the type that doesn't care, as we saw from the... Uh, yeah, I would agree. It's going to be, you know, and this is my seventh head coach at Notre Dame that I've covered. And, and uh, I mean, it'll be interesting because everything's put under the microscope yeah. and everything will be criticized if he mis- misspeaks. And he's got so much, so many other things that are more important that lead to victories, but you have to deal with all of it. And it's part of being the head coach at Notre Dame. And so I hope he's a Teflon man, because he's going to have to deal a lot with that. Next from a Weaver MD with national signing day approaching, which recruit do you think is the most underrated? I'm not sure that he's underrated anymore, but out of the gate, he was a three-star. I, Tim, you and I talked about this when we were at the, the Kentucky basketball game, Saturday night, um, Eli Raritan, Man, that dude is going to be good. He's long. He's athletic. He's tenacious. He can block despite not having, you know, all the strength that he's ultimately going to need at that position. I believe he's he is ready to four star now, but uh, you know he wasn't out of the gate. Right. And uh, I know that that's a guy that Notre Dame is really really high on. Um, Tom Loy has indicated. I long ago Tom Loy indicated that he was a guy that Notre Dame really liked. That that's the guy that comes to mind first for me. I would I would still go with Rarden, even though he's gotten a bump. Um, you know, he's still in the back half of the class. He's I guess at the composite he's at 179 overall. Yeah. Um, although I get 24-7 sports actual rankings has them at number six sixty-six overall. So somewhere between those two, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but he is a guy like you talk to people at Notre Dame and they're like, this is this is like Tyler his, Yeah, his length and size, his hand size is off the chart, uh, and that helps when you're when you when yeah. you are asked to catch footballs thrown in your direction. I guess. Um, like, but with if you took Raritan off, the Amorian Walker is the runaway winner for this. There, there just are not a lot of prospects who are ranked in the 500s who have offers from LSU and Alabama <laughs> and Notre Dame. Yeah, it's, so. a weird, it's a weird, is he underrated just by, he's underrated only by recruiting services, not by right. the number one program, the number four or five program, and a team that won a national title three years ago, the number six, yeah. program, whatever, like those mm-hmm. are the, those are three of the best programs in the country and the runaway winner for best program in the country. They want him. So I don't know if he's underrated. What do you have to go down to like Benjamin Morrison? For being underrated, I like Benjamin Morrison. I like Benjamin Morrison a lot too. Um, I think underrated is like like Jarrett Patterson was three sixty nine or three sixty eight. That was underrated. When you're in the top two hundred, it's just like you're underrated because your Notre Dame has such a good class that you start scrolling down and you don't find Eli Raritan until you've gone through eleven guys. So then he seems underrated, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear what you're saying. I, Aiden Gobert is another one that yeah, you know that that has really jumped up. He had a spectacular. Um, senior season. I think one way of looking at this, it's just a, it's a positive that we are talking about guys ranked 174 and 200 and even yeah. more yeah. than 300 being underrated because underrated in 2017 was like Owusu Koromoa and MTA that were buried in the late 400s yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. That is when you're finding diamonds in the rough. And of course yeah. it worked out. 
out. So it's we're, we're looking at it from a different perspective. I think Ashton Craig looks looked really, really good during his senior year. Um, Jadarian Price looked, I, I, I thought his senior film was way better than his junior film. But again, we're, we're talking about, I mean, Jadarian Price is, I, I don't have the ratings right here in front of me, but he's a, he's an upper. A four-star prospect. Yeah, he's a four-star uh, prospect, exactly. Yeah, so, so It's just um, relative, I suppose. You know, maybe Donovan Heinish, because he's got a little bit, is as productive as Kurt Heinish has been for Notre Dame, Donovan Heinish is longer and a little bit more athletic. So I, I think we all like Kurt more day one in Culver than we ever did in the recruiting yeah. process, right? Yeah. Right. Yes. He showed up, it looked like his uniform didn't fit. He had the long towel and all of a sudden he like, didn't. What? They gave they gave him a crappy practice jersey. I asked him about it one time. He's like, what's the deal with it? Why am I wearing this 41 with an old font? I think my exact quote, <laughs> my exact quote or write-up about Heinrich was, I don't know who this kid is they pulled off the street and gave him a jersey that doesn't fit, but he sure seems like he could play football for Notre Dame. It was just like, and then, all, I mean, he was just always mixing it up in there. And yeah, 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 still is. Did, did he, Pete, did he actually, did he actually say an old font or is that you? No, that's not, uh, he didn't okay. use the term font. Okay. Um, okay. But he, he was aware that like, I have this jersey from the 80s <laughs> and everybody else has the new stuff. Like, what was that weird? I remember where Calder was. We're up on the bleachers, like yeah. looking down. You can you can stand at the back of the bleachers and look at one field and the other field. So you got right. defense on one field and offense on, on the other. And it's I like, look course. at yeah. look at is that who is that Heinish? Look Heinish. at Heinish. <laughs> he looked like a hedgehog wearing clothes. It, it was, did. He's it's worked out pretty well for him. You no, know, um, I don't want to interrupt you, Tim, but upon those two fields, that is also the day I believe that uh, Ewell's career almost ended. Right there. That's Remember. true. That's that is true. Same that, moment. Yeah, and you knew it. You you knew it as soon as you saw it. Uh, I'm gonna I'm pairing up a couple questions here. One from Annie Davis: Is it fair to applaud players for sitting out New Year's bowl games, New Year's six bowl games, while also criticizing coaches for not being able to win them? And then from Irish Marley: What do you think of Kyle Hamilton and Kyron Williams not uh, opting out not to play in festival? Do you agree with players sitting out in order to preserve their draft stock? You know, on Eddie Davis, I never considered it this way applauding players to sit out and then you don't have Hamilton and Kyron Williams for your game. Yeah. That's, that's a unique perspective that, yeah, that, I mean, that's tough. If you're going to have, and other teams have had like Michigan, um, not to give Michigan too much credit, but Michigan a few years ago when they had eight, it was 2018 for sure. They had Gary sit out. They had, I mean, everybody was sitting out for Michigan. You're like, well, they got killed in their bowl game. Well, yeah, they got killed in their bowl game. I mean, that's what would happen if Jerry Tillery, Khalid Kareem and Julian Aquara all sat out too. Um, so Notre Dame's in that boat. And that's, I never really looked at it that way. That criticizing a coach when he doesn't have, let's say two more guys sat out. You know, and then as far as opting out, Pete, uh, you know, guys my age tend to think they should play. I'm not saying that I feel that way here. And then, you know, younger generations look at a lot differently because they have so much to preserve financially on the NFL level. I was, I mean, Kyle Hamilton sitting out makes a, ton, a million um, so much sense to me because he's been hurt all year. If he was going to come back, even if Notre Dame was in the playoff and he had played, he was only the plan was 25, 30 snaps. Like he wasn't going to come back and play 75 snaps right. in whatever game Notre Dame played in. Kyron Williams surprised me a little bit just because he's not like a first round pick. Um, I don't know what he was going to prove against Oklahoma State that was going to like move him, turn him into one either. So I, I don't have a huge problem with it. Um, I have more of a problem with Brian Kelly opting out of the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. Um, that 
that strikes me as before much worse they before they actually knew whether they were in the playoffs. Yeah, which it's like if it's like if Kyron Williams and Kyle Hamilton turned pro before Notre Dame could have made the playoff, I would have felt differently about them turning pro. Um, I am I am surprised that um, Notre Dame does not seem open to them hanging around the program um, for the next few weeks, like in the way that. I mean, because Kyle Hamilton has been doing it for the last six weeks as a coach. I, I take the players at the word 100% that they're very popular in the locker room. Um, and I believe that they, they would have wanted to sort of like coach a little bit, um, you know, be around the guys, which because like, you know, if Kyron Williams turned his ankle, had a high ankle sprain on Saturday, and he was out for the game, and he knew he was turning – going to turn pro i think that he'd still be welcome around the goog and like are in meetings not, and stuff are they not i mean based on what marcus freeman said yesterday no it's like they can they're, they're gonna be to, at the bowl. he said they'll be at the bowl game if they want to be yeah but that just means at the bowl game not like working in meetings helping yeah. you know younger players develop all, all of that i i thought that they would be like okay you're declaring for the draft. Awesome. Like you don't need to come to workouts or anything, but if you want to, if, if you want to like work like uh, Hunter Spears or Cole Mayberry, where you're a player who's not playing anymore, help out at practice. As long as you commit to being at all the practices. Um, That's hard though too. Right. I mean, but I have, think that I, I got the sense that was what they wanted to do. They just have, I guess they, I'm, I'm looking at, it, they have three, three days of finals through Wednesday. And, yeah. And then they should go start preparing their bodies for the, everything they're going to be doing the next four months. I yeah. Know. I just, there's yeah. like, they're, they're, I think they, they, there was still a value add for them around Notre Dame football, even if they're not playing. Yeah, you might have a point because the five captains came out with the, at the basketball game. Um, the five other captains came out with Marcus. Yeah, right. Um, that's the first thing I noticed. And I have a conspiracy theory to throw at you here. They were at the get like Kyron and Kyle were at the Yes. Game. They were both there. Yeah. yeah. I tweeted, uh, I, I, I mean, I tweeted out something after, during the Stanford game. Why is Kyron Williams still in this game? And Brian Kelly got him his thousand yards. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Brian Kelly knew he wasn't playing another game. Yeah. I had yeah. a strong suspicion there was. Boy, and he need man, you in the nick of time, he need a twelve yard run that was blocked oh, no. beautifully in order to get in he order to get it. Too, I, what Williams, I think he he really needed that. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I just, I, I, where do we draw the line? I mean, we're like, we're, we're and I ever, and I, there is no line to be drawn. It's every player has his own individual decision to make. And, and I get that, but I mean, Pete, your point about, it's not like he's a first round draft choice. I mean, he's probably the number four running back, which is, you know, second or third round. I, 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 I you know, I look at it differently. I don't have a problem with it, Tim. I have a pro I have a, I, I just kind of bristle when people say, well, we don't get mad at coaches for doing it on Twitter. Yeah, we do. We get mad at coaches all the time for doing it. Everybody yeah. in the world was mad at Brian Kelly for doing it. I mean, I think it's up to the coach if he wants his money to leave, and I get mad at him. And I think it's up for the player if he wants his money to leave. And if you're a fan, you can get mad at him. Why? Why? Who's telling people they can't get mad at someone for doing that? <laughs> what, what do you mean you're yeah. telling someone no, you can't no. get mad at them now? You can't logically be bad. You have no point. You have no dog yeah. in the race. But your emotions can make you as long, Yeah, as, as long as you're honest about why you're mad about it. Yeah. You're mad because you don't get to watch them play again, which, like, hey, I want to watch Kyrie Williams and Kyle Hamilton play again. And then you're mad that Notre Dame is going to have a less of a chance of winning the game. Exactly. Be fair about it and then be honest about it. I think people are afraid so to be, be honest about it. We don't hate – you don't – well, people will be like, well, you're not looking out for the best interest of the kid. Probably not. That's why you're a fan 
hoping he plays in the game. Right. You don't get a decision. It's like it's up to Kyle Hamilton and his family and Kyron Williams and his family. If you think you have a say in that or that they care what you think, you are sorely mistaken. However, you can still have an opinion on it, right? Yeah, but, you can. And my opinion moving forward is, I mean, it's up to the individual player. I, yeah, I would like, yeah. you know, absolutely. I, I think it's really important that Notre Dame beats Oklahoma State. I, I think it's important to the eight months that come after that with Marcus Freeman, because regardless, regardless, doubts come in from a fan base. If you if you're on one after the Oklahoma State game, I think it's really important. Not that it's going to change anything going into the excitement going into next year per se, but you know how people are. It it only takes one bad defensive performance. Like I said in the third quarter, I was being told that the third quarter of the Florida State game that. Marcus Freeman was in over his head as defensive coordinator in Notre Dame. Now he's a head coach. So I try not, I don't react. I try not to react uh, to, to things like that, but um, it's important that they win the game and not having Kyron Williams. will will make it harder for Notre Dame to beat Oklahoma state question from Dutter 25. Is it a good sign that Notre Dame hasn't offered any other receivers or is it just too late? Too late. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, I, that's much more of a, a probably a portal Right, grad transfer um, yeah. move next, and so it sort of depends on like what happens with Kevin Austin, what happens with Brayden Lindsey, what happens with Avery Davis. All, all of that matters too. But in terms of getting out on extra receivers here at the end, it's um, that that time has passed. I think there's a 21 year old out there that they're going to have their eyes on, and preferably, we talked about it last week. They can find a 19 or 20 year old that they have their eyes on the game next year because not all, you're not always going to find the perfect fit that makes a play like Ben Skoranek. I mean, that makes a fit, right? Skoranek. Yeah. yeah. But they, they will find, they will find well, a, an accomplished receiver. Maybe it, 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 I mean, it was a guy from Northwestern no, with, I mean, with, maybe, with a good, maybe is my point. He has to show up and play. He Ben Skoranek was better than we thought he would be. Yeah. Like, he's, in, he's in the NFL. Yeah. He's, he's in the NFL. Well, you know, Austin, Lindsey Davis, really, really key. Um, you know, I, th- I think it, we'll see. Uh, Pete, your, your uh, perception on Austin, has that changed since a few weeks ago as far as whether he comes back or not? Um, I don't know what I said a few weeks ago, but I, I, <laughs> well, I you, think, you, you felt I like think he's he, more inclined to leave today than stay. And I don't, and I'm not saying a not saying that's in comparison to anything I said before. I, I think he's got to, he will have a legit decision to make. Yeah. Um, I think he should return. Um, I think it makes financial sense for him to come back. It makes athletic sense for him to come back. Also, it'd be good for Notre Dame if he came back. Yeah. And I, um, you know, we'll you see. and I, you and I have had varying sources on that. And uh, like CJ Williams, I'm still holding out hope that Kevin Austin yeah. is in an Notre Dame uniform next year. Let's say there's no CJ Williams, but there is Kevin Austin. Just I'm trying to do numbers here. So there are eight scholarship receivers, including a Maureen Walker and Merriweather. Um, three fifth year seniors, two true freshmen, and then three sophomores. There's no junior because Xavier Watts is a safety and the other two transferred. And there's no senior because Cam Hart is a cornerback. Yeah. So I'm, I'm correct on this. There'd be eight. With Kevin Austin, no Kevin Austin means two portal and one right. undergrad transfer are pretty important. 
Yeah. And I said this last week, I mean, Styles and Colsey moved to the forefront, right? You, you know, you, those guys, those guys have to be at the forefront and they, and they are now, I mean, or they're, they're certainly trending in that direction now. So uh, a problem that Notre Dame and many others will, will have to deal with as, as we move forward. Next from Rutgers 33 hot Marcus Freeman claims he'll be the lead recruiter for every Notre Dame prospect. Where will he be forced to spend less time given that commitment? What's the biggest risk for the rest of the responsibilities of being Notre Dame's head coach outside of recruiting? Um, I don't know that. I don't know that uh, I can put my finger on one thing where he can spend less time. He's a 35 year old guy with, with a ton of energy and motivation to be a recruiter. Um, What's the specific area where, as a head coach, where he's going to have to probably less time doing yoga? Yeah, my thought is, <laughs> I mean, I also think we're looking at this wrong. He's the lead recruiter for nine months, and on game week, he's not the lead recruiter. I mean, he can't be that if he's the game week, right? Leader, and he doesn't, and he doesn't recruit like an assistant does. I mean, that. Brian Kelly just backed away from so many recruiting situations. Right. That that I think that there are way more opportunities over the course of the nine months that you're talking about, Tim, for him to play a role. Um, right. Like a phone. Yeah. Like a phone yeah. call. Yeah. Be available. <laughs> like I, I think availability will be huge. Um, and that that's not a that's not a big ask. Um, I, I think that also he will be you know, his impact in recruiting, I, I think will also raise the game of everybody else on the staff because they're going to be like, all right, the head coach is setting a different example than what the last well, head coach t- did. It, it, Tommy Reese, excuse me, Pete, Tommy Reese said that in the Rosillo interview yes. that, you know, the guy, I, 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 I'm not going to get worked out, outworked by the guy down the hall from me. And, and we've seen that Tommy Reese can be a very, very good recruiter. And he, and he has become that. So, yeah, I, there's no doubt the trickle down. Well, if if the trickle down effect from defensive coordinator or offensive coordinators had that impact on Reese, imagine the trickle down from Marcus Freeman, the the head coach, right. uh, on the coaching staff. I, I don't, you know, and with the emphasis that that Freeman places on it with his other assistant coaches, you better be prepared as an assistant coach to to work really hard at. It. And I I have no doubt that 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 will be the attitude. I think this next question ties in because. There might be an exception to that recruiting rule. Packy P, any chance Notre Dame will bring in a former head coach to serve as an assistant head coach to help Freeman navigate, provide guidance, et cetera. But let's 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 expand that to just a veteran, older, wise coach. Yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, first of all, how many former head coaches are willing to jump into this, you know, expand it like to, to a veteran, but I, when I use Bob Elliott and something like that as an example. Right. And that, and that's why I think when all, when all is said and done, I think the defensive coordinator and the offensive line coach will be, will be veteran, longtime veteran football coaches. And that assists in the process. Is there a guy out there like, you know, like, like, Oh, David Cutcliffe, maybe you can get David Cutcliffe to move to South Bend and serve as an advisor. I mean, in what world does something like that happen? Could David Cutcliffe want to do that? I I would imagine, but you know, I just, I don't think there are a whole lot of former coaches out there. They're just going to move to South Bend and 
be Marcus Freeman's right hand guy for I don't know how much money you expect to pay somebody like that. I don't I don't know if this is like the the right move, but I think it will be the move. I, I think that Jack Swarbrick will actually be pretty heavily involved in this kind of role. Who obviously like look, he's obviously never been a head coach, um, but in terms of institutional knowledge of Notre Dame's clearly has a ton of it. Um, so I think that's probably who Marcus Freeman will rely on quite a bit um, in this capacity for like that stuff. But like, I, I don't know, being a former head coach, it would be a luxury item, but having 20 plus years of coaching experience, that would probably be more of a prerequisite, I think. Right. For this. Which is what, which is, do you agree that, the defensive coordinator, offensive line coach will be veterans. Yes. Yeah, I, I would be I would be pretty shocked if Marcus Freeman went out and hired Marcus Freeman. Right. You know what I mean? Like well, and or, that's or went we, out and hired Tommy Reese. Like, right. Well, and that's why we you know yeah. the Mike Elson thing is I mean, he hasn't been a defensive coordinator. I it's just it's it's a risk uh under the circumstances because you have a 35-year-old head coach, and so I think, you know, Pete, when we were, I think we were communicating last night. I mean, I think when all is said and done, that's how you make the staff older is, is by a couple of hires of, of veteran guys, one on each side of the ball, um, you know, that can kind of, kind of fill that role a little bit that, that, that people are looking into. And, and I get it. I, it, it would be ideal to, to have a guy like that, you know, a former head coach that you can bounce ideas off of, but that's a, that's an extreme luxury, I think, under the circumstances. They had a former head coach go to LSU, Brian Pullian. Hey, Beasley, with the success of OL recruiting in 2021, is Jeff Quinn a foregone conclusion to be moving on and why? Uh, Another former I, head coach. Right? Yeah, I believe the answer to that is yes. And the, and the why to that question is that um, they believe that they can – improve the level of coaching along the offensive line. I think it sounds about right. I mean, it's pretty indicative that LSU's offensive line coach and Brian Kelly is Brad Davis, not Jeff Quinn. Um, so I, yeah, I think that I think at Notre Dame looks at this like, Hey, this is a fresh start for everybody. We kind of reevaluate everything. And like, we talked about this earlier in the year, no matter how, good the offensive line got down the road and they obviously got a ton better the first five games still counted yes they did so that's that's part of it the the fact that you were starting a true freshman left tackle for a state is that still happened that's the fact you're starting a true freshman left tackle now is still happening like that's that's not a place notre dame should be um so that's i think it's worth taking a hard look at that yeah, and I, I, you know, we've, I think we've kicked around what, what's Jeff Quinn going to do? Uh, you know, I, I've, I've heard that stepping, you know, retiring from the game is, is, a, is a possibility. And I give him a lot of credit for the way he recruited, his enthusiasm for the job. But I don't, you know, I don't know that that, that always translated with the guys that, it, that he coached. Right. But Pete, I do think, uh, well, I completely agree with you. But Pete, what's that stat you put on Twitter? Top, uh, top 100 offensive linemen by conference? Oh yeah. I mean, no, it's a uh, sec eight. This is among the top 30 <laughs> offensive linemen in the country uh, in the 20 on the 24 seven sports composite. <laughs> the, SC, the sec has eight commitments from that group. Uh, Notre Dame has four commitments from that group. That's the tough. ACC has four commitments from that group. The big 10 has four. 
Big 12 has one. Pac-12 has one. I don't – Jeff Quinn was a good recruiter. Harry Heastan, who is not known as a great recruiter, was a good recruiter at Notre Dame. John Latina, great recruiter at Notre Dame. Frank Ferducci, really good recruiter at Notre Dame. Like, it's pretty difficult to not be a really good recruiter or offensive lineman at this place. So, in a, yeah, in other words, it's it's not the person, it's the place, and it's the 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 tradition of Notre Dame's offensive line that 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 drives it. Ryan Chesney, out of Isaiah, yeah, there's no, I don't think there's a wrong answer to this one, guys. For you, no, there really isn't. There's not, but out of Isaiah Foskey, Kevin Austin. Garrett Patterson and Jason Adamiola. Which two does Notre Dame want back most in 22? And which two are most likely to come back? I, don't, I can't say that I know which two Notre Dame wants to, yeah. to, to come back uh, more. Uh, two most likely are pretty obvious to me. Foskey and Patterson. Patterson. Yes, that are most likely to return. Yes. Um, you know, they're all key. I mean, they're, although, I they're mean, all, you're, you're, you're talking all. about the answer is both. Yeah, both 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 is right. Both twos, <laughs> both twos. So this takes me back to 2017 versus 18. So Pete, we've talked about this a lot. Going into going into 18, they wanted Tranquil, Coney, and Tillery to return, and they all returned. Am I missing someone? Is there a fourth even? There might be, but I can't place who it would be. In going in from 2018 to 2019. You lost Julian Love. You lost Moyles Boykin. At Notre Dame, you need to bring them all back. At Alabama, you don't. And that is the recruiting difference. So I think Marcus Freeman, with the schedule, needs three of those four to return, at least. I, right, so. I would agree with that. But also, it's like, I, I was thinking about this concept that you're, you're bringing up. Like, last year, they lost Tremble. And then they went eleven and one. You know, I, the the depth clearly is be, they they can handle it better now than they could five years ago. Sure, sure, but um, they are not. They're eleven and one. Are they eleven and one? If in the back half of the schedule they play Ohio State or Clemson, no, or no, USC, probably not. right? They're probably no, not. I, I don't mean this, to take this would be a year where going four for four on this group would matter more than yeah. it did. The previous offseason. It's like, you know, it's like even with Cole Komet when he left, that was a little of a surprise. Okay, well, they right. went right. Yeah. 10 and 10 and 2 and made the play. I mean, would would Adam Alola be the guy that you can I don't is think is that so. the easiest absorbed? I don't think so. I feel I, like I, I, that, I, yeah, I that's why so. I think I would possible. say I would say so. Like if if you are giving if we had to rank like one through three, four most important. I would I would go Bosky, Bosky Patterson, Austin, Adam Milola. I might go just to switch the bottom two because as good as Austin was in the second half, you ha- I don't know you have and they're this- all look they're all top ten players on next exactly. year's team. They're all top ten. Players. Yeah, they may be top five players on next year's. Yeah, team. I would have a hard time putting Adam Milola fourth just because you're you're also losing Heinish. Yeah. And, and we, we haven't, I mean, I expect, I think Riley Mills has a skill set that makes him great, but I, he doesn't play, he hasn't played consistently. Now he hasn't played, he hasn't received consistent minutes either. And so maybe he takes off. I, I just, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. These are yeah. all hard. They're all good players. They need them all. Yeah. I am going to guess at 51%, it would have been 40% 
a couple weeks ago, probably. I'm going to guess at 51%, Jason Adamiola also returns. But here's my point on him. And I, I, I understand that the modern game says Kevin Austin. Nobody needs Kevin Austin out there. Clearly, they, they, he's a difference maker. and He could be great next year. The strength of Notre Dame is so much in that pack up front that if you tell me Notre Dame goes to Columbus with Jason Adamiola, Riley Mills, Isaiah Foskey, Justin Adamiola, and Howard Cross and Jacob Lacey, and they're all ready to line up. Then I go, well, you know what? They can control part of that game. They'll be Ohio State's not going to go out there and overwhelm Notre Dame. So it's almost like, give me my given strength, right? Kevin yeah. Austin could have two catches for 19 yards if Tyler Buckner or Drew Pines. Right. Not on the game. Yeah. It's, I just feel like Notre Dame has a clear strength. But I could be easily wrong because those guys are all really good. Uh, we're going to wrap up with a question from ACCTG Teach. How would you rate the atmosphere of Saturday's basketball win over Kentucky with Marcus Freeman and Lafonso Ellis in the house and the Irish playing a traditional powerhouse? There seemed to be quite a buzz. It was fun. Um, uh, Kentucky helps with the atmosphere because they bring a, a good crowd. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like a Georgia situation where it's too blue. I thought, I thought Notre Dame's crowd, you know, Kentucky made a run and you, and you heard a let's go blue chant was very loud, but that happens at arenas. If everywhere Kentucky goes, you're going to hear a little of that. Um, learning fans did a great job. The students did a great job. I was really happy that I looked up. I think it was, I, I guess I misread the clock, Tim. It was like 13 minutes. I'm like, what is wrong with this place? There's no one here. I thought it was three minutes or something along those oh, lines. Oh, yeah, yeah. All no, of a sudden, it packed. So it, fi- it, it filled in real yeah. quickly, right within the last five minutes. And that was good to see. And there was a strong Kentucky contingent. And that's, that's always good. That, you know, it's always, I, 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 I mean, I have to, I grew up in the Digger Phelps era and I, yes, the crowd was good Saturday, but. Oh, it's relative. Yeah, no, we don't. Yeah, even, I mean, it, you know, it, 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 no, I, it, I mean, it, it, it was, it was great to see because they've struggled so much, but, um, and I turned to you at one point, right. And I said, are they going to rush the court if they pull this out? Yeah. I don't think they were winning at that point. Actually, no, they weren't. And I think my reaction was, it depends on how they pull this out. And yeah, that, that's yeah. how you rush the court when you No, and it was good. Uh, it was, but it was only as good as the game in Indianapolis this weekend against Indiana, because if it, if you, if you, I was not, I, I didn't think that it was a, I mean, other than their big guy, Kentucky, I didn't think that it was that good of a Kentucky team. Well, they were over 13 on three pointers and winning. Right. And they're, they're, they're still a typical Kentucky team that can't shoot from distance and they haven't been able to um, for a while. Pete, did you, did you, uh, you weren't I there. Watched, but... No, I watched it. I mean, it, was, it seemed like it came through on TV. You know, the Marcus at halftime was good. Um, you know, in the way the game ended with O'Malley, it's like that was, you couldn't not rush the court. Right. The game. And, <laughs> yeah. No, no, um, no. So, it was, I mean, it was nice for Notre Dame basketball to like, like oh yeah like i haven't watched you guys i've seen way more than me um i have not watched blake wesley a whole lot um but notre dame doesn't have any other blake Wesley. no and so. and, and frequently you have four other guys on the court with him that that really have difficulty keeping pace with what he's trying to do i don't know why he comes off the court more than <laughs> two minutes a, why I, I mean i'm going to say this until why are you, does he need a rest? Does the 18 year old, 19 year old freshman that's the best athlete on a court need a rest that you have to play him 30 minutes instead of 38? I don't know why you would take him off the court. He shoots a shot too early in the shot clock. Some, have you seen the rest of the team play? Yeah. Here, here's the problem with Notre Dame. I have, <laughs> they should not have four losses. Clearly. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, but 
You should be they able should to be, be six and two. They yeah. should be six and two. Um, but one thing they have going for them now is a little belief going to the IU game. And my pet peeve of, well, let's just see if our best dribbler can win the game for us that has been done for the last 22 years. You now have the best one-on-one player you've had in a long time as the guy to win the game for you. So and the they play was designed. They ran a little set to get him moving. Right. You know, he didn't just stand there with the ball. Um, they got him moving. They got the defense moving, and then he took it. Yeah. It was it was w- really well done. And now I also agree with it. It used to be here guard that has not scored much all game, but you're our point guard. Go win the game for us. Now it is okay. Best player on the team, go win the game for us. And I yeah, think and I still cool. and you and I both agree. Still run the set, and and yeah. and Wesley can always create off of that. But again. The proof is in. I know they're going to be in final exams, and they're going to have to go to Indianapolis, play Indiana, and they never win that game. So no, whether they have a big lead or not, they they don't win it, and so that's key. If they can build upon that, they win okay. that game. Now, yeah. if they win that game, we can start talking a little more about going into the ACC. Right? If they if right. they beat Indiana after beating Kentucky, that offsets like St. Mary's. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, we talk, you can't be under 500 going into conference play. Right. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. And it, it'll, you know, well, your next conference game is this little team from from Durham, North Carolina, coming up here on Jan, on January 1st. January 1st. Well, it's lame, just, lame, lame duck head coach there, though. So I think. How about Notre fun. Dame, though, drawing Duke? <laughs> Notre Dame draws Duke at home when there's no students and no football fans there. Right. That's right. ridiculous. That's a nor, terrible... nor football reporters from Irish Shields. Well, yeah. Report nobody. <laughs> there. Yeah. But think about that atmosphere. It's Duke, and you don't have Notre Dame. What if Notre Dame? Why would people? Go, I mean, the Fiesta. I don't know. Do you Only go there's a way you could move the game. Yeah, it seems like it's a pretty, pretty clear movement, right? Just move that game yeah. to Sunday. Not happening. All right, that's it for Notre Dame basketball. That's it for Notre Dame football today. We'll be back on Thursday, December 16th, following signing day on Wednesday. Hopefully, um, well, there will be a lot more good news and bad news, but we're looking for a clean, clean sweep here, and that, that, that may be difficult to do. But we appreciate you joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider, and we will speak with you again on Thursday, December 16th. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.